0: Hey guys, and welcome to episode 281 of Built on Passion. I'm your host, Matt Della Buono, and this week we have on Take Two co founder Jarek Lovey. Take Two makes plant based barley milk with a huge emphasis on sustainability using upcycled spent grain as a key component in their tasty, game changing, dairy free milk. In a lot of ways, the inception of Take-Two was fairly serendipitous. Jarek had just sold a wildly successful kale chip brand that you probably had the chance to enjoy. He wasn't actually looking to start any business, but was approached by Anheuser-Busch to work on a way to upcycle spent grain from their brewing process. Take-Two is changing the game for plant-based milk on seemingly all fronts, To start, their dedication to sustainability is unparalleled to the point of them helping to repurpose thousands upon thousands of spent grain that otherwise would go to waste. On the nutrition front, their barley milk is so much more nutrient-based than your typical plant-based milk, but most importantly, the taste and texture of Take Two is amazing. It really comes down to barley as the X-factor to fixing all the classic problems of plant-based milk while helping to provide a better, more sustainable solution. I mean, what's not to love? So, how does one start a plant-based mill company, let alone pioneer a new and progressive upcycling technique to support it? In this episode of Built on Passion, Jarek Lovey shares the story on how he started a plant-based mill company brand from the ground up, some of the roadblocks he's faced along the way, how barley is the game-changing grain of the future, what it took to build out their upcycling process, and the how and why behind Take-Two. Do you own or do marketing for an outdoor travel, wellness, or fitness product company? If you enjoy listening to our podcast built on passion, have a brand of your own and are interested in joining one of Ready Yeti's upcoming giveaways, we'd love to have you. Our giveaway campaigns are a great way for you to gain exposure and build a targeted audience of potential customers. We've worked with hundreds of brands over the years. Chances are you've probably seen our giveaways and we've put together giveaways related to the outdoor fitness, wellness and health spaces. If you're interested in partnering or joining one of our giveaways, just message us on Instagram. Our handle is at Ready Yeti. That's R-E-D-D-Y-Y-E-T-I. Just tell us you'd like to join one of our upcoming giveaways and someone from our team will be in touch. Remember, just message us on Instagram at Ready Yeti. That's R-E-D-D-Y-Y-E-T-I. All right, all right. Well, hang on one second before we actually jump into this episode. I just wanted to say thank you. Really, thank you for supporting everything we're trying to do. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being engaged, being curious, and just being there supporting the show. We work really hard to put together a really interesting show and have on guests that are truly doing something progressive, interesting, and building something truly special. If you are looking for a way to show your support and help us continue to do what we are doing, one of the biggest things you could do, and I know it seems like a really small thing, but is leave a review. Plus it helps inform other people what your experience of this podcast has been like. So that's basically it. I just wanted to say a big old thank you to you, the listener. Please leave a review. It is extremely helpful and uh, you look great. And that's it. Bye. Jarek, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Matt. It's awesome to be here. Thanks so much. I've been thinking about you for a couple months now. I actually, I have been using Take-Two since you guys sent it to us. We do have it up here in Burlington, the local market. So I actually went back and I picked some up, I think, after I got off the phone with you around, I don't know, I forget if it was Tuesday or Monday. But yeah, that's been carrying me through. I love that. I love
1: hearing it. What ways are you using it?
0: I mainly use it for like coffee or hot chocolate or something. It's perfect, same. Yeah, and I, I'm not like a big milk person, so it keeps me through though. Makes me <laughs> awesome. Morning. Happy um, to hear it. Yeah, of course. To kick this off, who are you and what do you do?
1: Yeah, my name is Jarek Lovey. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Take-Two Foods. Take-Two is an upcycled plant-based food company. So we, we take spent grain from the beer brewing process, all of the leftover barley that brewers can't use, which is actually condensed fiber and protein essentially brewers take all the starch and the carbohydrate and and turn it into beer but we take all those leftovers and and we transform it into just an amazing plant-based milk that's really tasty and nutritious and kind of works in everything
0: so it's a it's it's pretty pretty fun gig so how did you end up doing this i mean there's got to be a pretty specific i guess layup to. Getting into the plant based milk game. What's your background in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I've been in food for the past 10 years. I launched an organic snack food company about 10 years ago and grew it really quickly into one of the top selling products in its category. And we got acquired and, you know, is continuing on as president and CEO of the company. And I learned that billions of pounds of spent grain are going to waste every single year. So just billions of pounds of food. As soon as I heard that statistic, I knew that there was something that could be done about it. So my co-founder and I approached the problem head on and started developing food applications that would appeal to customers to really address decreasing the amount of food that's going to waste. And we started with barley
0: milk. Were you working with barley, the previous business? The previous business was actually kale.
1: So I made kale chips, just like very healthy, simple ingredients. They were dehydrated. So I was actually an athlete all growing up and in college. So nutrition was a super important part of my life. When I started training for triathlons and marathons, I was really honing in on how my nutrition was affecting my performance As a basketball player in college, it was like my coaches and trainers had quite a bit of control over my eating and training plan. When I got out, it was all on me. And I was like, wow, you know, so many of these protein powders or these purportedly healthy healthy foods, they're not really all that healthy, which was what kind of inspired me to create this healthy chip that actually was great for your body versus what chips are traditionally known for. So after that, barley was brand new to me. I mean, obviously, craft brew is big in Oregon. I understood that barley and hops go into making beer, but I wasn't very familiar with the ingredient itself. It's not actually all that common in the U.S. anyway. And so it was a, a brand new idea for me, a brand new ingredient. But the more that I dug into it, it just became like, wow, this is this just like so many other plant ingredients, but particularly ancient grains have just a tremendous amount of uh, really remarkable nutrition in them that should be shared with people and could really help benefit people. So it's been inspiring to
0: work with this ingredient. You moved on from successfully launching your kale chips. You're headed into this new, I guess, more sustainably focused endeavor. Did you know that you wanted to specifically use barley for take two or even landing on the idea for plant-based milk specifically? Was, that, was there like a process like experimenting around, kind of figuring out what the key to upcycling would be? Yeah, that's
1: a great question. So when we started working with the ingredient, we learned that there's a few things that make it really interesting and unique. So most plant-based proteins are pretty gritty and they're insoluble. So a lot of the plant-based milks, traditionally, when you drink them, they have a lot of grit or texture and a lot of graininess, but barley protein, this barley that's extracted from the beer brewing process is actually soluble. So it dissolves in liquid, put it in water or coffee or whatever, it dissolves. And so we knew right away that from a texture perspective, it would lend itself so well to dairy products. And so from that perspective, there's kind of two prongs of like what we were approaching. One, we wanted to reduce food waste. That was super important. Two, we wanted to give people the opportunity to actually be able to make the transition to eating a more plant-rich diet. Understanding the full impact of industrialized agriculture on the planet and the production of animals for food is like pretty significant impact to the planet. And and we were like, okay, well, we can help address that by creating these plant-based foods that taste as good, function as well as their animal-based counterparts. So as soon as we figured out kind of like what the ingredient excels at, it became sort of like, oh well, well plant-based milk is really, really interesting, really exciting. And what's happened in plant-based meat, could happen in plant-based dairy now, like plant-based meat went from the Boca Burger to now Impossible and Beyond, where you're like, wow, this is as good as an animal-based meat. Same thing could happen with plant-based dairy. So that's really been what we've been tackling.
0: It's also, I mean, I feel like milk is the perfect thing because it's an ingredient in things, you know, whether you realize it or not, it's in your everyday life.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. It's like from a, a volume and from an occasion's perspective, we're like, Okay, let's upcycle as much spent grain as possible. Well, milk, it's used in everything. You can use it in cereal. You can use it in smoothies, baking, cooking, drinking it by the glass, your lattes. So we're like, oh, this makes perfect sense from a volume perspective. We can upcycle a lot more using milk, creating milk.
0: And so you guys are plant-based milk focused. Would you consider getting into like a barley cheese? Like, Is that possible? Totally.
1: It's possible. Yeah same thing you know it's again the solubility just lends itself to like that creamy smooth texture so all the traditional dairy products yogurts cheeses ice creams sour cream whipped cream we can make those products dairy free plant based using the barley protein
0: oh man and i guess after that i mean you have the milk milk is a starting point for most of those things so it's it's pretty easy stepping stone yeah absolutely absolutely getting back to the I guess the main meat and potatoes of why you started take two helping reduce food waste. I know that's like literally the keystone of what you guys are trying to do. How do you do it? What is your process to actually, let me back up here a bit. How did you take such a big facet of the production and kind of work it in? Like, well, where, where did you start to actually get that operation going?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Like anything else, we couldn't really just do it on our own. Collaboration was key. So we partnered early on with Anheuser-Busch because they were kind of spearheading this effort to create the processing technology at the major brewery level where huge tanks of spent grain are going to waste, where they were realizing and recognizing the same problem, like can't keep up with the amount of waste that's being produced. We partnered with them early on and they've been instrumental in developing what has now become a company called Evergreen that takes the spent grain from the brewery and puts it through a drying process and dries it into a fiber, a barley fiber, and a barley protein. And so right now we're taking just the barley protein and we're using that as the core ingredient in our milk. So it's been an amazing partnership that. We've just like been, been linked arms from the beginning with them to really
0: develop the technology
1: and then now the applications for the barley.
0: That's a huge partnership. How? How did you link up? Was it serendipity? Was it some kind of application to work with them? How did you manage that? Yeah,
1: I think it was serendipitous in, in so many ways. I was actually still on it. You know, working as president and CEO of my company after it got acquired was not looking for anything new. I, I had the entrepreneurial itch like most entrepreneurs do, like what's next? What can I create? What more can I create? But I thought I would do that all within, you know, my own company. And I received a phone call out of the blue from a recruiter, anheuser Bush, that was talking about this project that they were working on to upcycle spent grain and turn it into food. And because Anheuser-Busch does beer so well, they didn't have a ton of experience at the time in food. And so it was just kind of a perfect partnership where it was like, okay, tackling this huge environmental problem, tackling all of this waste. And I had some experience in the food industry to be able to partner together to make this happen. So my co-founder actually was on the team at Anheuser-Busch. That's where we met. So I moved out to New York and met him there. And there's just a whole team of people within Anheuser-Busch and even without, outside of it that has, has been working to bring this to life. So it's pretty amazing.
0: That was when you, you met your co-founder and the entire Anheuser-Busch team. That was the start of Take-Two or did Take-Two come after that meeting of the minds, so to speak? Yeah,
1: so it started kind of like we thought it would be something that, that was internal to AB InBev, like just kind of like it was an experiment, it was a project, and there was a lot of question marks about what it could become. But once we realized its potential we spun it out into its own company outside of Anheuser-Busch, yeah, it's just
0: become its own thing and has its own board and yeah. That's awesome. It's so cool how like you kind of cross into a different world and just charged through and created, you went from kale to plant-based milk. I feel like that transition had to be kind of weird to get used to it. Was it like fundamentally the same thing? How did that work?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, fundamentally, for sure, it was the same thing. It was like my co-founder and I were tasked with bringing this to life. And so we faced all the similar challenges of any startup, which is like, okay, how much capital do we need? How are we going to fund it? What type of products are we going to create? How are we going to staff it? How are we going to produce it? All of the things, which is, is really exciting. Like the early part is really fun. And it's also really complicated because you don't have any answers and you have to put all of the pieces in place to bring it to life. I think the benefit for us was just that we had such a huge resource with Anheuser-Busch and their team that we could turn to at any time for help and support and for advice and for for mentorship or resources. So we felt really fortunate because again going back I mean this is such a it's a huge dream and it takes more than just just a couple people, you know. It takes a lot of people across a lot of spaces to bring it to life.
0: You can't be everything,
1: right? Yeah, for sure.
0: The way I see it and especially because you had experience in the plant-based food space, you're kind of like the the conductor. You can't yeah. be, you can't play the violin and the tube at the same time. That's
1: so true. That's so true. I love that analogy. That's awesome.
0: I mean, as many times as I tried, it just doesn't just work out. That's <laughs> <laughs> impressive. Not the way I do it. No, it's all bad. <laughs> Speaking of, I mean, so you got the right people, you did the right planning, you got fantastic backing from one of the biggest companies who can also supply you a ton of spent grain how did you actually develop the take to barley milk itself was there like a lot of r and d did you kind of know what recipe you wanted to go with what was the actual production process like for the first finished product
1: yeah it's actually super complex to make a plant based milk Traditionally in the space, people have tried plant-based milks and they're like, Oh, it doesn't work, or this isn't milk. It's super watery. Put it in your coffee, it coagulates. Up until recently, you know, with oat milk, putting it in coffee was really taking a big bet, you know, didn't foam and you got a lot of splotchiness in there. So my co-founder is a chemical engineer by right? you know, that's his background, and he's a research scientist and So he's really just put a ton of work into developing hundreds of prototypes, literally, of the milk to figure out the right combination of ingredients to go along with the barley protein to make it the world's best plant-based milk. It's not simple. You think milk, okay, yeah, it's just milk, but actually it's... It's quite complicated and it it wouldn't be easy for someone to just kind of go into their kitchen or set up a lab in in their garage and tinker around it. It it would be really, really hard to make a milk like this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense too. When you think about it, especially when it comes to baking, there's some serious chemical reactions happening there. Totally.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly it.
0: Yep. How do you guys feel about, I don't know if you've seen this, I've been getting ads for this on like Instagram, but there's like this device where you can just kind of throw a bunch of crap in a thing, press a button and get milk. Is that like the enemy?
1: <laughs> Definitely not the enemy. We are huge fans of that because especially from like a sustainability perspective, like shipping a bunch of water across the country or the world is not super sustainable. And the more that we can create technology that Allows us to do things like make milk at home. The better, it's actually been something top of mind for us. Is like we are serving most people still shop at the grocery store, right? So you know a lot are starting to shop as well on you know e-commerce platforms, but for the most part, people shop for their food at grocery stores, and so we're serving and meeting that customer head on. I think in the long. Run! It's like, how can we sort of create the powder version or the raw ingredient version of our current barley milk, you know, so that we're not shipping water and that it could go into not even a, a machine, like you just put, add water, you know, to it and you have your, your favorite plant-based milk anytime you want on the road, camping, you know, you name it. I think it's, it's a phenomenal idea, and we're, we're super excited about new ideas like that that are really addressing some of these environmental challenges and systemic challenges head-on.
0: I guess there is the solace in the fact that you know not everyone's going to be doing this. And even if that is the case, still like, you know, coffee shops are going to... Like, there's no way a coffee shop is going to constantly keep on pressing the on button and making like small batch milks for everyone. No, you're
1: totally right. We've seen that in Portland. Some of the local companies were like, oh, let's make our own oat milk. And the amount of volume that they're running through, <laughs> they couldn't keep up. So they're just like, well, a few machines in, and then they, they finally tanked it. But it's a great point.
0: So that's actually something that I've been thinking about. What you're doing with Take Two is actually pretty new. I mean, like most of the plant based milks on the market are specifically nut milk. And you have oat milk, which is a grain too, but going beyond that to actually work in a more sustainable aspect to it and getting just a, a more nutrient-dense grain, how has it been received by your customers? Has it, has it been a lot of education to kind of get them to understand where you're coming from? How quick has the buy-in really absorbed into your customer base?
1: That's a great question. You know, with the boom of oat milk, people are really tuned in to other grain-based milks, like you pointed out, which has been really cool. You know, it's like suddenly plant-based milk has evolved where it's like super exciting and super delicious. So barley, such similar grains that people can make that correlation pretty easily. But I think barley, we didn't grow up eating Quaker barley. We grew up eating Quaker oats. You know, we didn't grow up eating barley cookies. We grew up eating oatmeal cookies, you know? So there's a lot more education that has to happen around barley as an ingredient overall, just because it it, it isn't totally familiar to the U.S. palate. But other countries, Korea, people drink barley tea multiple times a day and have a lot of familiarity with it. So... Yeah, so we're hoping to like kind of create the face and name of barley here in the U.S. and get it into people's lifestyles because it is just such an awesome plant.
0: You're lucky too. I mean, it's new, which already there's appeal there. I mean, when there's something new, people are like, oh, I'll try this. I drink almond milk, so why not? And then, I mean, between that, actually working in like a seriously big sustainability program with it. I feel like it's easy for people to say oh yeah I'll check this out and then not to mention that it's it's just easier to mix in with coffee. I feel like more than anything that's probably one of the most number one things that people would use plant-based milk for. It seems.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's the number one. Everybody loves their their morning cup of joe and ritual and yeah, if you can have it with some delicious milk, come on. It's it's even better.
0: In regards to other cultures overseas, eating a lot of barley. Anecdotally, I forget what it was. It was some like history some documentary, or something. I think based off of food systems. But apparently in ancient Rome, gladiators would eat a ton of barley, which is pretty much how yeah. they like apparently got their gladiatorness. However that works. <laughs> Basically what I'm trying to say is if you eat barley, you'll become a gladiator. <laughs> Don't quote me on I that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I know that you guys are Pretty much on the shelves nationwide from West to East Coast. Yep. What was it like actually getting that expansion going? Was there like a slow build to actually get picked up by distributors and gotten out there? Have people, I guess, on the buying side of things been quick to pick it up? How's that worked out?
1: Yeah, it's been super quick. We went from like 70 stores at launch to like 1300 stores within like six months, which is... Oh my God. ...is really quite quick. And I think the reason why is because the retail buyers or the store, you know, decision makers, they're so tuned in to like healthy food and sustainability. They're so tuned into it. Reducing waste across the board, reducing food waste, super important. The trend of upcycling was like just starting to kind of trickle in like five years ago. But now it's like very relevant. And we're still, we're not even really scratching this, the surface of it. But again, the decision makers like, no, they get it. They get food waste. They get sustainability. And they're just like, yeah, let's partner together to make this happen. So it's been really cool from that perspective to just like be able to create such strong partnerships with retailers who are doing their own big work, great work to you know, make their stores more sustainable and their offerings more health conscious and, and environmental friendly as well.
0: I feel like we're lucky that just people in general are getting there too. I think people are asking for that. I think people who don't like, I don't really like almond milk that much. You know, I'll, I'll drink it because I don't like regular dairy milk, but just having those other options, people are so particular, specifically getting back to coffee. I feel like it's a, the low hanging fruit to talk about, but you know, you get really particular with your order in the morning and. You're always trying to find that edge people are getting there
1: so true so true yep
0: do you still get a ton of support from anheuser bush now that you're established or is it just more so them helping you out with the supply and getting that going
1: yeah i mean we get a ton of support from them because they're just a great partner and then the biggest support is yeah on the supply just getting that amazing spent grain from them is it's just so cool. It's just so amazing to learn from their process and to learn about their commitments and their sustainability goals and targets. It's just really awesome. So great partnership and yeah, they're continuing to rock it with us.
0: Speaking of learning, how do you handle, I guess, communicating to your audience what you're actually doing on the upcycling side of things? Is it tough to kind of have people really understand where you're coming from or is it pretty simple it's another
1: great question you know when people hear upcycling they tend to think recycling recycling has you know obviously a lot of positive connotations and so people who have never heard upcycling of course there's a little bit of confusion at first but there's an assumption that it's like recycling And it is, you know, we're taking something and making it into something better. So we're giving, you know, a second life to it in the same way that recycling is. I think when it comes to upcycling food, I think there's a little bit more confusion, which is like, wait, was this like thrown out in the trash? I don't get it. Is it safe to eat? But it's actually not that (laughs) at all. It's like again, just for example, in our case, it's like the starch and the carbohydrate of the barley is put into the beer making process, but the fiber and protein is it's in the tank and it's just, there's nothing that the brewers can do with it. So there's other food applications like this as well. I mean, when you think about fruit or vegetables, they talk about like ugly fruit or imperfect fruit, imperfect food, foods that have blemishes, that aren't like look perfect. These things are still totally, edible and should be eaten. And so a lot of companies are, you know, slicing them up and drying them, turning them into dried fruit products or dried veggie products. And so it is super safe. I think there's more education to be done there for people who just are unfamiliar with food waste and unfamiliar with upcycling, learning about it for the first time.
0: It is something that's super important. I mean, I one of the different instances of food being wasted that always pops into my mind are bananas. More than any... I mean, there's there's a lot of... You can go in deep on this and I, I almost feel bad kind of like ripping down the veil of how terrible the banana trade can be. But I mean, across the board, there's a surprising amount of food waste that exists. So even like going in all in on one very specific like, okay, barley, people will not stop brewing beer it just won't happen. So you're finding the solution.
1: Yeah, you're totally right. I think it's such an interesting thing too that you're highlighting around bananas. And I think it's actually with so many ingredients that we just have no idea how our food system works or where the inefficiencies are or where the waste ha- happens. But the reality is like is 30 to 40% of our food supply goes to waste, is crazy. Like that is a lot of food. When you think about the number of people that are hungry or the amount of people that are malnourished or overnourished, it's like, how is all of this food going to waste? And not only that, it's one of the main contributors, one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. So it's really important that we understand where our food comes from, how it's transported, how it's transformed either into food you know, food products or how it's wasted. Because I think you had brought this up the other day, but sometimes you buy a big container of greens at the grocery store and you only end up eating half of it, right? And it's like, oh, but you had the best of intentions. And this is the same thing that happens on a bigger scale, which is just like, what are the right portion sizes? What are the right serving sizes? What are the right container sizes? How much do I really need? How much can I use? And then how much of it? just went bad that i can't use i think it's just super important that we awareness is everything right once you learn you can make different
0: decisions even to keep on going with that it's a process too you know like you totally. you, you learn and then you slowly start to kind of change your behavior yeah i'm a big believer in baby steps towards a goal is the sustainable approach it's nice cuz it also like is an excuse to stay optimistic about understanding over time versus just like get there now yeah i'm the same It's good. We're positive people. The (laughs) world needs more people like us.
1: (laughs) Positivity is so important.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When you were explaining, when you were really getting to the food waste thing, I I wrote down, I think I wrote this down, like my brain going on autopilot, but it reminded me of like vegetable stock. You're dealing with a lot of like veggie scraps. You throw it in, you turn it into something that you actually use. Anecdotal, but... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's actually how, I mean... You know, a lot of the times, like in traditionally, yeah, like the parent that's cooking in the house, they're like, oh, well, I have all of these leftovers. What am I going to do with them? Throw it in a soup. And it's, you know, it's like the early days of upcycling. We learned this from our grandparents and parents who were who were doing this a while ago. But yeah, just being resourceful, using everything that we can.
0: I've been getting more and more and more and more trying to like reduce the amount of waste I produce. But cooking has always been like a super important thing to me. And that's been like my favorite part, my favorite place to kind of like look, be like, okay, how can I be more efficient? How can I use all this food? Like this is about to go bad. What can I make uh, out of this? It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I love that. With take two, getting back to take two here with take two, (laughs) it's, you know, you're obviously there's a lot of moving parts to it. It's a food company. So, I'm sure the FDA kind of comes into play here. Were there any challenges getting take two approved as a sellable food product? I know that it could be a complicated avenue with like a lot of like red tape and bureaucracy. What was the process like actually getting to the point to sell your barley milk?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. For us, the ingredient, the barley protein ingredient that's produced by Evergrain, which is the subsidiary of Van Bush, and Bev that's making this barley protein, you can imagine with the scale that they're producing this on, like it is held to the highest and most strict quality standards out there. So when we receive that ingredient, it's already like any other ingredient that we supply or that we source, not supply that we source. It's just... Top of the line, just highest food quality. So similarly, our processing where we process our, our milk and where we produce it, we're held to the highest and strictest standards. So everything from plant cleanliness to our process to our ingredients is, is checked and verified and rechecked and verified again. So for most food food entrepreneurs, that's you know a bit of a learning curve is like, where can I produce this? How can I produce this? Do I have to get my own kitchen? What type of equipment do I need in my kitchen? That can be a little bit confusing and, and challenging to navigate. In our case, making a plant-based milk isn't something you can do on like a small scale. So unless you're making like really small batches and giving it to a local store or selling it at a farmer's market, it's really it takes large equipment, bottling equipment and big batching machines. We work with what's called a co-man, a co-manufacturer, a co-packer. A co-packer makes products, many different products from many different brands that are similar. So this you see a lot in beverages. You also see it in like snack foods, like bars, like energy bars. One co-packer will make 20 different brands or so. So maybe
0: even sometimes more than that. Co-packing as a concept for me personally, it's familiar just because I, I've talked to a lot of people who are making things starting from a, a smaller scale and then you know growing. It's interesting how some of the structure of how a product gets made. Some things are just kind of the same, whether it's barley milk or jackets. How we have this design, we have this concept, but we need X amount. And then for, I hear the process of finding the right co-packer and finding you know those partners can be laborious and. Painstaking. I don't know if it was, I guess, easier since you kind of had a great deal of support and were already familiar with dealing with making food products. What was the process like of actually finding I guess going through the hoops of actually being able to create and sell this product? Was was is it a lot of filling out forms, waiting for approval? Or are you boots on the ground talking to people, wheeling and dealing a little bit to Make these connections?
1: You know, from a co-packing perspective, it, it took a lot of heavy lifting in the beginning. We looked all across the country, met with very, like a ton of different co-manufacturers to see if they had the right processing equipment to produce the particular product that we make. Believe it or not, there's not that many co-manufacturers that make plant-based milk products. And so we, ultimately our, our decision was narrowed down for us just based on the number of co-packers that exist and from there it was just ironing out a lot of the details like you know a lot of the technical paperwork type stuff that you're, you're re- referencing overall though i would just say not any more complicated than making any other food product or jumping through any different hoops than other food products we were able to bring it to market really quickly and that was enabled in large part due to being able to work with the co-packer versus build our own manufacturing plant or try to bottle in ourselves.
0: I feel like if you do that, you basically have to start a completely separate business, like in and of itself. <laughs> totally. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: I mean, on the other hand, if you have a, a people lining outside your door, be like, hey, I want to make this celery milk, then, then you know, that could work out. I don't know if celery milk is a thing. <laughs>
1: it's a pretty good idea.
0: (laughs) Got to write that one down. (laughs) Exactly. What has been the hardest part about starting Take-Two from, I guess, like the moment of conception?
1: Yeah, the hardest part for sure. I mean, we launched, you know, right as the the pandemic was happening. So it really, (laughs) it really changed like the retail landscape right away, kind of froze up and buyers weren't considering bringing on a lot of new products. They were just trying to make sure that their shelves were stocked with all of the products that their customers needed. So we had to kind of pivot our strategy initially early on. like Pretty quickly, we had to go from being just solely focused on going into retail to figuring out how we were going to meet customers via our DTC platform and then also other e-commerce platforms where... Yeah, I mean, delivery, no contact delivery, like just trying to figure out how to get people this milk. That was challenging, but at the same time, an amazing opportunity because we wouldn't have been ready to launch in these other channels as quickly had we not sort of been forced. And now they're proving to be just really important sales channels for us and and ways to meet consumers where they're shopping. Yeah, that was challenging.
0: Did you do a lot of sales through via e-commerce with your previous business or was this like pretty much you know the trial by fire? Not much actually. So
1: this was yeah, this was brand new. We just had to learn and figure it out and it's interesting obviously e-commerce is so hot. Like everyone is launching, you know, businesses and are trying to figure out how to launch a business and online business and which is is awesome but but there is some complexity to it and there's quite a learning curve, but we delve right in and we just have an amazing team of people who are really savvy when it comes to creating unique digital experiences and communicating on digital platforms. So it's proven to be just a really unique way for us to get the milk out there. And even partners like Imperfect Foods, just been phenomenal because there's much synergy from just a vision and mission perspective and upcycling and sustainability and that their customers are already thinking in these ways, like thinking about, you know, the planet and ordering planet conscious foods.
0: I am your demographic. You are speaking like to <laughs> the soul of it. I'm, I'm loving everything you're saying too. That is so cool. I have the most respect for anyone who can nail down e-commerce because I know that it can just be such a huge pain in the ass that constantly is changing too. Then you totally. have to like social media is making it specifically. So I have, I have beef with social media. It's specifically making it, you know, just such a tough thing to understand, not because it's so impossible, but just because it changes all the time. Yeah, totally. Thank God you have figured out the process with the initial company and you could just be like, okay, now we're going to kick this thing's ass. yeah for sure for sure Jarek, it's been fantastic i have one more question for you i have two more questions for you (laughs) sounds good the first one is what advice would you give someone who wanted to start a food brand
1: yeah it's like i mean food is so fun and it's so important because nourishing people is just it's necessary, right? So I think from that perspective is like really sticking with holding true to why you're passionate about it in the first place, because it is a challenging industry and it's very complex. You know, you think about brokers and distributors and retailers and different channels and having to create products that meet the different needs of different channels. It is complex, but you know, the fun of it, the joy of it, the excitement of it. I think it's one of the most fun industries to be in and certainly like most rewarding because yeah, you're really, really meeting people's most basic needs like head on. So I would just say stick to your why. Remember how fun it can be and how important it is. And then just keep going. Like just keep, keep going.
0: The way you said about sticking to your why, there's a, a couple points while well, we've been talking that reminded me of that concept, specifically the book, Finding Your Why. There's a book about that. Yeah, I think that's so important to actually have that figured out. And like with broad strokes, whatever your why is, just knowing that that's the thing fueling you. Ah, I love it. Love that. Uh, the last and the fun question, what's the best part about running take two?
1: Well, for sure, our our team. I mean, we just have people who are so self motivated and so passionate about making a change on the planet. So I think of everyone on our team as like entrepreneurs, as part owners and crusaders and champions of like this cause. And so to be around so many people who are so fired up about leaving a dent and making the world a better place, just like it's so easy to jump out of bed at, you know in the morning and start doing this thing all over again because the people make it so worth it so i sure I, that.
0: I think i could trust anyone who's passionate about food on any level it's a unifying thing
1: <laughs> that is amazing i've never thought of it that way but yeah that does make sense for sure
0: cuz obviously sustainability is a huge part and that's like the society changing aspect of it but at the end of the day food you know everyone needs to eat to survive Everyone needs to eat to stay nourished. And it's like the hinge where people can, I mean, especially with like take two, you can either treat the food as like, this, this is a vehicle for creating change, or I just like to, you know, have a nice cup of coffee. It's, Heck yeah. I love that. I love that. Totally. Jarek, thanks for coming on and sharing a little bit about take two, giving us like a peek behind the curtain. For anyone who wants to pick up some barley milk of their own or find out a little bit more about what you guys are doing, where can they head?
1: Yeah. Head on over to taketofoods.com. You can order directly from us and learn more about everything that we're up to. So we'd love to hear from people. But yeah, Matt, this has been awesome. Just appreciate the great conversation. And I'm leaving this conversation even more inspired. So. Really appreciate
0: Uh, it. Me too. I'm about to go have another cup of coffee, which is about to be my biggest mistake.
1: (laughs) sounds great. Awesome. Have a great one. You too. Thanks so much.
0: We made it. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode of Built on Passion. Hope you learned something. Hope you maybe grew as a person. Maybe you have a new entrepreneurial idea. Maybe all of the above. Maybe you got a new perspective on your favorite hobby or favorite piece of gear and you just, you fell in love all over again. I'm hoping for the last one. That last one actually sounds pretty good. I'm going to ask one last time for the people in the back, please leave a review. It is super helpful and a great way to show your support of the show. And if you know someone who might be interested in this episode specifically, share it to them. And all joking aside, thank you for everything, for supporting what we're doing. In any event, that's it for now. I will see you next week on another episode of Built on Passion.